0: Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7? And it's not gonna, I'm not going to be in one text this morning. I'll be in several places, but the Lord's been speaking to my heart about this subject just as a word of warning and help to us and really trying to obey the Spirit to preach the whole counsel of God. Uh, I'm going to preach this morning on fornication and adultery. Fornication and adultery. What does the Bible have to say about it and challenge Did you know, I will, I will tell you this, not in a way of bragging... And by the way, I met three or four new folks, new families. I'm so glad y'all are here. And we don't, I don't preach on fornication and adultery every Sunday. Pastor Cameron doesn't. We, we preach uh, uh, the gospel and challenge uh, people. And our church is growing. I, I, there's never a Sunday heart anymore that I'm not meeting new families and individuals. And we're so glad y'all are here. Uh, we do believe that there's a encouragement in the preaching of God's Word. And here's why. Um, through the years, I'm looking back and thinking over the last 20 years even... We have, we've had some divorces from those in our, in our fellowship, but not many. Frankly, uh, we've not divorce-proofed the church by preaching truth, but we sure have minimized the number of families that are broken uh, as a result of, uh, of divorcement since arriving in our fellowship. Now, we don't take credit for that. We give that glory to God. We know it's the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. When we are awakened to the truth of God's Word, then we recognize what is necessary and what we need. Students, I was just going to preach on adultery, but I got to thinking about the pressures you guys are facing. And the Lord brought some things to my heart, so I'm going to say some things to students in this room. We waited until the next children's worship to say this. If children are in here, you might want to plug their ears just a couple of times during the sermon. I'll try to be sensitive, but primarily our children are across the way in the children's worship hour. You know, we've not shied away from uh, preaching truth. Pastor Cameron, thank you for being that kind of leader. And uh, I'm given that same kind of freedom. I have been through the years, and I am today. Um, but I, I want to tell you, it's just such a tragedy to see homes and families broken. And you've got loved ones and friends and family members, and some of us are products of, of brokenness due to sin. And I am going to say to our young people, even though the culture says that it's okay to engage in physical intimacy before your marriage. Can I just say and remind you that we don't listen for the culture, we listen for God's Word and what the Bible has to say. So here's the word uh, for you. We're going to see it right in Scripture in a moment. You know what? Song of Solomon uh, in the engagement between Solomon and the Shunammite, you know what she said? Don't awaken my love till it's time. You see, we awaken the hearts and minds and the passions of young people way early today because of what they're seeing and hearing and meditating on. And those things are to come later, not presently, uh, but they're to come later within marriage. And um, we'll talk about that some uh, this morning as well. Uh, I, I keep hearing this same term again and again. Uh, it's not just our culture, but it's been being said forever. Um, I was watching a television show, and I was thinking all the number of times I've heard this said in the last year. You know, I just uh, met this person, and we had such chemistry. Can I tell you there's a Bible word for that? It's called lust. Everybody has that. If you've got red blood pumping through your veins, and you're not 112, you more than likely... Uh, understand a little bit about that, uh, that passion. So I, I want to just be honest with Scripture. Uh, I'm, in, I'm glad you enjoyed the little laugh because there probably won't be very many more of them in the, in the sermon. Um, thanks to this church and the support of the godly men and women to encourage us to preach the whole counsel of God. Uh, it's all important, and so we do so today. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, I need your help this morning. I love every person here and our new friends. We will love them as well. And yet, Lord, we know as we stand to preach the good news of your gospel of how you sent Jesus for us, we know after we get saved, Lord, and put our faith in you. And if there's anybody here that doesn't know, you may today be their day of salvation. But after we get saved, Lord, we we face temptation in this world. It's in our face every day, God, and families and Individuals, the singles and young people in this church are, are not immune to that. And so God, in the name of your son Jesus, for those that will hear this truth or view it on live stream, I pray God that you would so work in our lives that we would build safeguards by the power of your Holy Spirit to be your servants in these days and that you would keep us pure. And Lord, for those that have gone through this tragedy, would you remind them of the forgiveness they have received in Jesus Christ. And, Lord, thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Look with me, uh, primarily, young people. Everybody, I want you to take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter... I'm in 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want you to look at one verse to begin with, and it's verse 8. I say to the unmarried and widows, Paul speaking, he said, It's good for them to abide even as I. Singleness. Uh, abstinence. There are those who have the gift of singleness and can remain single, and I admire that. It says a little further in the text that, ver- in fact, over in verse uh, 32, uh, he said, if you remain unmarried, you get to care for the things of the Lord. You put your whole attention in that. If you are married, you're caring for the, the and pleasing your wife as well, or your husband. But there's a, there's a lot to be said for abstinence. there's a lot to be said for singleness and yet most people are not called to singleness. I want you to look back for just a moment at chapter six and look at verse 12. Students, I know you're being you're hearing the stories of your friends and and they are uh, intimate with their, their boyfriends and girlfriends and, and there's all kinds of questions regarding uh, their sexuality but I want you to notice in chapter 6 and verse 12 1 Corinthians six twelve. all things are lawful unto me but all things are not expedient it's not good for you all things are lawful to me but I will not be brought under the power of any Paul said as the spirit inspired him meats for the belly and the belly for meats but God shall destroy both it and them now look at this statement now the body is not for fornication. I want to say that one more time. Now the body is not for fornication. Now you know the difference between fornication and adultery. Fornication is any kind of sexual activity by those who are unmarried. And adultery is when one or the other persons you are engaged in physical intimacy with is married and not to you. Uh, I think we all know the definition of that. But he said that uh, the body is not for fornication. Look, Look at this but for the Lord. When you're saved, get ready, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Here's a good place for an amen. When you get saved, you belong to God. Amen or not? Every part of you belongs to God. And the Lord for the body, verse 14, and God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. I think that's speaking not only about the resurrection, but the power we have to have victory in, in our areas of our sin. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? He comes down to verse 17 and says, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that, young people hear this. Every sin that man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And then he reminds us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we're to glorify God. It glorifies God for you to keep your life pure as a student. You say, well, nobody else is in my school. Well, good heavens. Uh, who was it? Grandma said, if everybody else jumps in the fire, you're going to jump in it too? I mean, think about that. You get to decide to obey God in this area. You say, Pastor, is it really even possible in this culture? You know, it's not normal, but it is possible. And parents, I hope you're glad we're saying it to your students, and I hope you're saying it. There's some safeguards you can build in to help your student be able to come to the marriage altar pure, even in 2021. I believe we saw that in the last little while with some students and some young people that were married. Just a marriage on yesterday. But I praise the Lord for this truth, and I just want to challenge you about it. In chapter 7, however, the Bible has some things to say about about men and women and about marriage and about adultery. Notice chapter 7, verse 1. I'll tell you why I'm opening with this, and then we'll get right into our primary text. Now, concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, Evidently, there were struggles in this church, and we know there was in the Corinthian church. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Uh, ideally, he said, uh, he was uh, called to celibacy. He said, it would be a great thing if, if you could avoid that. However, most can't. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. And then he says, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise, also the wife to the husband. Look at verse 5 defraud or, or deny you not one the other in, in intimacy, except with it be with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. And then he said, when you're finished fasting and praying, come back together again, intimately. That Satan tempt you not. This is what happens. You're tempted for your incontinency or your lack of self-control. You say, Pastor, why would you say this? Because I believe a lot of times adultery occurs because a husband is not loving his wife properly. I think adultery occurs because a wife is not giving herself to her husband and loving him properly. I think oftentimes it's used as a leveraging tool. And I think that's sin. Because I think we're to love each other and we're to follow Jesus Christ. This area should not be on the throne. Christ should be on the throne. However, you are a person made up of a body and a soul and a spirit and God would have for your home and your family to be a little heaven on the earth. Don't let the world try to teach you about sexuality. We have a guidebook here uh, that will guide us all the way through the Scriptures. Uh, We see truth related to this, uh, complete books in the Bible related to the intimacy of husband and wife. And when things are not right, then there's temptation. And when there's temptation, you don't have to yield to the temptation, but it can occur. And it has occurred in some of our lives. And so, in looking at this truth this morning, I want us to, to give some thought to this passage as we move into uh, this truth. And I want us to pray one more time just because of the, the strength of this message. Let's pray. Father, I need you this morning. And I know, Lord, I want to be careful. Put a guard on my mouth. Say only those things, Lord. May I say only those things that you from the throne would have for me to say as, a, as an encouragement and a warning to your people along these lines. Lord, keep us right with thee and holy before thee. And Lord, we know the only way that'll happen is if you do that through us. We're a mess and we know it, God. So guide us now and help your servant and your people as they hear in Jesus' name, amen. Pastor, why would you preach on something like this? Well, number one, it's in God's word. It's the whole counsel of God. Why else? Because the Spirit of God has been convicted. Maybe some of us are struggling with this temptation. And because I want to see people repent, And experience forgiveness from the Lord. I want to sound a loud warning to everybody in this room how quickly you can lose what is precious to you in your marriage and in your family and your relationship with Jesus Christ. And then I want to protect, I want the Lord to protect us in these areas of challenge distance from God, neglect of God's word, distance and neglect. That's where it starts. And then the communication ceases or is minimized. Long hours are unaccounted for. Coldness or all intimacy is over. Unexplained expenses. Change in appearance. More uh, phones or devices quickly deleting incoming emails or phone calls are just a few signs of a sin that has taken over this culture. In Exodus chapter 20, which we'll look at in great detail for a truth that blew my mind, the Lord said, in those Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. I remember when I was a little boy, uh, my mother and other leaders in my life would give us a list of guidelines or rules. And I thought they were doing that just to kind of keep us from having fun. I thought, why in the world would you tell a boy that he can't uh, do some of these kinds of things and I kind of let that thinking translate over into the, the Scriptures and into the commandments. But God knew every culture. And He looked down through time, and He saw the tragedy that occurs so many times in the hurt and the broken pieces when this sin is, is committed. And He said uh, of the, in the Ten Commandments, wrote with His own hand for Moses, for the people of God then, and for the people of God today, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, in in looking at this, Jesus, even in his teaching, this didn't just happen in the Old Testament. I can almost hear somebody say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, no, there's more. Jesus said, he went a step further. He said, not only is it wrong for you or I to commit adultery, he said, if a man in Matthew chapter 5 or a woman looks on the opposite sex to lust after them in their heart, they've committed adultery already in their mind. There's an emotional adultery that occurs. There's a physical adultery that occurs. And you know there's a spiritual adultery that occurs as well. Uh, I'm, I'm working through the book of Hosea right now. And what Hosea was preaching to the people is, Israel, and the church has done it as well, has gone after other gods. They began to be captivated by other gods and idols, and those things become more important. He said, it's not to be true. You know what? It's heartbreaking because we see this in professing Christians. We see this sin, and and we see the brokenness that happens in the church. We see it among ministers. We see it among Christian leaders. And it's all because at some point, and we're going to see it today in the story, we begin to relax, and we begin to think, hey, this is not going to happen to me. I I won't find myself in this area. In fact, if we're honest, most all of us would have to agree and admit that we've been tempted at some point in our life along these lines some have said that the contemporary church today is Corinthian to the core if you remember the sexual sin mentioned in the book of Corinthians is is a terrible sin and it goes it moves through other areas that is debase when we think about this we wonder sometimes why the church at large so many it's why we're continuing to call you away from your sin and call you to the the spirit of Christ is the church has lost its power There's seemingly no conviction in the church. The church has lost its influence. There was a day where before politicians and before leaders would change anything, they consulted the men and women of God who stood as bulwarks in the community for the things of God. And so we've lost so much of that. And sadly, we find that it's because of sin and oftentimes this sin. Would you turn back with me in the Old Testament to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11? 2 Samuel chapter 11. There are more than this one occasion in the Bible where we see the stages of adultery and fornication. But this one probably is the most glaring illustration. And I have five steps that led David to a terrible place of brokenness. And the sad end result to his family and to his own life was tragic. God forgave him, yes. But there was results because of that sin I guess we could call this lessons from a fallen man. By the way, while you're turning, here's a man that was at the height of his career. He was a man who was a worshiper of God. As a youth, you remember those stories of him sitting out there on the hillside watching the sheep playing that harp and singing to God? He was, uh, he was a young man of great integrity. He was uh, handsome and he was tall and he was really special. As a matter of fact, you remember the statement that that the man of God, Samuel, said when Saul was being displaced and David was going to become the king. The Bible says that Samuel said to Saul, God's looking for a man who is a man after his heart. uh, David was called a man after God's own heart. You know what? Really, he was saying, God was saying, I really like David's heart. At a given point in David's life, God could say of him, I like his heart, and yet he could still commit this terrible sin that we're going to see in a moment. Here's a reminder to you. You're not exempt from sin. You're not exempt from sexual sin. You're not exempt from any sin. You and I, even though if you've been washed in the blood of Christ, and you've been redeemed, I still want to remind you that you're no match for Satan and for sin. Don't think you can be proud and strut around as if it won't happen to you. It could easily happen to you or me. In fact, if you believe that, will you say amen? Just acknowledge that we're all sinners in this room. When looking at this story, there are, there are steps that... seem seem to just fall right in place with today's culture as to how it occurs. And I want you to look at them. First of all, chapter 11, let's read through this. Look at it really close. The Bible says, and it came to pass after the year was expired, the time when kings go forth to battle, but David didn't go, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Should have been in battle. And it came to pass in in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed. We don't know how late it was, but he had already gone to bed. That David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house, his house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, And someone tried to warn him. Look at this. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David didn't hear him. And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah. He was in battle. Sent him back to Jerusalem to David. And when Uriah was coming to him, David had a little plan. David demanded of him how Joab did, just made a little small talk, how the people did, how the war was going, prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to thy house. See, David thought he would cover himself in his sin. Go down to your house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. He set up a little party. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. Look at, he had more character than the king here. With all the servants of his Lord. He went not down to his house to be with his wife. First ten. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down to his house, David said unto Uriah, bring him in here. Camest thou not from thy journey? Why didst thou not go down into thine house? I want you to listen to this strong statement Uriah makes. Uriah said unto David, The ark, that piece of furniture that was a picture of the presence of God, and Israel and Judah, they abide in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord, they're down there in the open fields in the middle of battle and there's in their tents. How in the world can I go down to my house and eat and drink and be intimate with my wife? How can that happen? Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? He said, look here, I'm not doing it. As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Terry here today also and tomorrow, and I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem. David said, let's try part two. Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day, and on the morrow when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him and made him drunk. What's happening, David? What's happening to you? We'll see that in just a moment. And even, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of the Lord. He still went down, went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab, sent it by the hand of Uriah. Imagine they had a death sentence in his own hand. And he wrote in the letter saying, Sit ye, Uriah, in the forefront of the hottest battle on the front line. Retire ye, step back from him, that he may be smitten and die. Now he's guilty of murder. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah into a place where he knew that valiant men were and the men. By the way, imagine how much confidence Joab's losing now in David. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger saying, "When thou hast made an end of telling the matter to the, of the war to the king, unto the king, and if it be, and if so be that the king, uh, king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approach ye so nigh to the city.'" When ye did fight, know ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the sons of Jebusheh? Did not a woman cast a piece of milestone upon, uh, um, upon him from the wall that he died in Thebes? Why then ye uh, went ye nigh to the wall? If he says that to you, Joab said, then you're going to say, Thy servant Uriah, the Hittite, is dead also. In other words, you told us to do it, David so the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent him for and the messenger said unto David surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us into the field and we were upon them even to the entering of the gate and the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants and some of the king's servants be dead not only Uriah died now David's responsible for other people's death and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also then David said unto the messenger thus shalt thou say unto Joab look at his his conscience now let not this thing displease thee. Don't let it worry you that all these people are dead. For the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him, Joab. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, I've tried to imagine that moment. She's standing there, and they come to the door, kind of like people did in during wars, and even now. When she finds out he's dead, She mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fed her to his house. She became his wife and bare him a son. Look at this statement. But the thing that David had done, adultery, displeased the Lord. And so much more. Well, I want to give you these steps, and I'm not going to be long. I know what time it is. But I want you to notice several things. Number one, Step number one, if you're writing down notes, write desensitization desensitize. Desensitization. Well, how in the world does that happen? Well, before, it ever, before the sin ever occurred, if you were to take a moment to look back to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 13, we see David doing something that he's urged not to do in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy says, don't take multiple wives for the king. And you know what David did? In, according to 2 Samuel 5, 13, he took more wives and more concubines and he did it early. And he began to be desensitized to what God's plan was for him. You say, Pastor, wait a minute, that was legal in that day. Well, you think everything that's legal is still right and good? Lots of things that are legal are still not right or good for a believer. We, we have a higher law, the law of Almighty God. David, though this might, not, might have been legal, it was still wrong. And Pastor, what comes, what brings about our being desensitized? Well, just watch network television regularly just read the wrong kind of periodicals and leave it on and don't fast forward past it or starve your eyes from those kinds of things. You listen to all your friends at work that are lost. You listen to the kind of humor that happens. You receive the kind of compliments that some uh, are making to you that are not married to you. I'm just saying it's easy to get desensitized. Hey, my friends are doing it. I'm seeing all of our families, they're not happy in this stage of life. Hey, don't I deserve to be happy anyway? You know, I hate that statement. You know what I'll tell you straight about that? Did you know nowhere in the Bible you're exhorted to be happy? You're exhorted to be holy. And when you're holy, guess what? Then there's some joy along the way. But, but everybody's thinking they've got to be happy. And for the record, if you're lost, if this is all there is for you, you know, maybe that's natural, but this is not all there is for us. Our home is another land on the other side where we're going to meet Jesus face to face with every decision we make and watch as the culture desensitizes us. Number one, desensitization. Number two, I see relaxation. Do you see that in chapter 11, verse 1? How David relaxed. And it came to pass after the year was expired that when kings go forth to battle, David sent Joab, and David tarried. In Jerusalem. Hey, David, listen to this, had been a man of discipline. Discipline had been a part of his life, intense battles ensued. David was a leader extraordinaire. And now, somewhere around midlife, 50 ish, they say, around that time, having been quite successful, he decides, I don't need to go to battle, I'll just stay home. I'll take a woman that is not my wife though I have many of them I want her he just got he relaxed his convictions hey you know what he probably did I doubt he spent the time in sweet communion with the Lord like he did out on the hillside when he was a little boy before he ever fought Goliath. I doubt those times were as intimate and sweet in David's life. In fact, I can assure you of that. I've never had a man or woman walk in that office to say, Pastor, I've sinned and I've committed adultery and my family's folding. I've never had anybody do that that said I've been consistently walking with Jesus in sweet communion, in His Word, and my prayer life was rich. I've never had anybody say that. In all these years, I've heard a many say, it's when I got cold on the Lord. I started hitting and missing in the house of God, and I wasn't in the Bible like I should be. My relationship with God was getting further and further and further apart. I thought it couldn't happen to me. I've heard that again and again. But we don't relax. We can't relax our time. We must meet and be with God and live in His presence. You know, I don't believe David woke up that day to say, I think I'll go commit adultery today. I don't think that's the way sin works. The enemy's way too slick for that. I've told you my dad had a problem with alcohol. And he would get just completely drunk. I don't think he woke up thinking, I think I'm going to go get me a fifth of liquor today and just drink it down and, and freak out my kids and my wife and bring about all kind of conflict. I don't think that's the way it happened. I don't, I don't know what all was in his mind. I, I don't pr- pretend to know it. I just can tell you this. He relaxed his time with God. Desensitization, relaxation. Number three, and I'm hurrying. In verses 1 through 3 of chapter 11, I see a third sin. It's called fixation. And I won't go back and read it because I've just read it to you. But David, it was a warm day. He's not on the battlefield where he should be. He's in the king's house, probably towering above all the rest. It's a warm day and the evening was beginning to fall. He lays down to go to sleep and sleep evades him. He cannot rest. And so he gets up and he goes out onto the, the roof where he should be able to view the entire kingdom, but instead he sees her. And the look, which could have quickly turned from the look to shift his thinking. Did you know one thing beautiful about being a human being instead of an animal? Did you know you get to change your thoughts? Did you know as a believer you even have supernatural power from God to take captive thoughts, the Bible says, and put them under the obedience of Christ. I may not help from what I see. What I can decide to do is whether I'm going to tarry there and think on those and yield to that in my mind. Notice this. David went out and he saw her. He's seeing her, turns now to a stare. And the look becomes a leer. And the leer becomes lust. You remember the verse in the Bible, James 1.14, where the Bible says every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed? Same for women. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. That's exactly what happens in his life when you read the end of the story. All oh, his children suffer, and his family suffers, and David suffers in observing all of it of all the kingdom as he stood on the roof that day, he didn't see anybody or anything except her. Oh, pastor, she shouldn't have been out there bathing in the first place. My goodness, let's blame somebody else on it because, except the sinner. Let's blame the devil on it. He's the one, let's blame him. Well, he may have originated some of all this stuff, but it was your choice. It was my choice, and it'll be my choice or your choice as to whether or not we let God keep us near Him to stand in these moments when there's fixation. You know what the answer is? Uh, I forget the man's name that wrote the book, Every Man's Battle, but he says there's an answer. When you see someone, male or female, uh, you see someone of the opposite sex and you're attracted to them, you know what you can choose to do? You can choose, he said in that book, to bounce your eyes. Terry reminds me sometimes when I'm talking, I don't pay attention where my eyes are. There may not be an ugly thought in my mind, but she reminds me, keep your eyes focused on people's eyes. And she reminds me, thank God for that. She also watches me evidently pretty close because <clears throat> I remember one time we were at the fair. <clears throat> I love the state fair, North Carolina State Fair. Oh, I can't wait, it's coming up right now. And we didn't have it last year. I can't wait for the fair. We was at the fair and... and uh, there was a person coming toward me, and she didn't have near enough clothes on. And can I just say something about not having enough clothes on, real quick? You expect it from me anyway. <laughs> Did you know there are certain parts of your body that God intended only your spouse to see? Not everybody in the community? Can I just say that to you? Hey, look, you have no business. You say, well, I can't help what they think. You can cover yourself up to help avoid that quite a lot and help women whose husbands struggle with it and men whose wives struggle with it. I just want to challenge you about that. But this person came walking up, and it was one of those uh, falls where it was still hot, Somebody didn't have enough clothes on, and that day the Lord helped me. I must have gotten right in the secret place that morning before I left, and I turned to look. We were walking down a little further, and after we passed that person, Terry squeezed me a little tighter on my arm, and she said, Thank you for that. I said, What? She said, I saw the way you bounced your eyes from that scene. You know, sometimes people are watching, not just our spouses. Sometimes others are watching that know we know God. He said, bounce your eyes. You can also starve your eyes. You say, how do you do that? Well, you just don't watch those programs that you know will ignite those feelings or passions in your mind. You don't go places where you're going to see things that you shouldn't see at that particular season. I'll give you a little hint. You can always go to the beach in cold weather. There's not issues when it's cold. Most people, unless they're crazy, will have good clothes on. Way up. Now watch, watch. We've Ted... Desensitization, David, then relaxation, then fixation. Listen to this next one in verse 3. Chapter 11, verse 3, the Bible says, And David sent and inquired after the woman. And someone said, one said, It's not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam? that tried to warn him, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. But you know, in David's mind, I'm not sure I know all of what he was in his mind, but I've heard it from so many other people through the years, though, trying to warn him... I wonder if he didn't think, you know, your eyes not at home. She's lonely. I'll just provide some companionship. I can help her. No one will get hurt. This is not like taking a prostitute from the street. How can this be wrong? I, I have all this chemistry with her. Oh, heavens, I hate that statement right there. God wants me to be happy. We don't drag him into this. My marriage was never God's will in the first place. You just don't know how he treats me or she treats me. I'm just doing what's natural. All of these are terrible, terrible, rationalizing statements that won't hold water. And I promise you, when you as a believer stand before the throne of God, none of these will be mentioned. Finally, last thought. What happens after... We are desensitized, Pastor. What happens after we relax and there's fixation and then, and then there's, uh, there's a, a moment of rationalizing? What happens next? Well, this is the sad part. Degeneration. Did you know it? adultery will make a thief out of you? If you look at the rest of this story, a prophet comes to David after all this is over. David thinks he's got it all covered up. <clears throat> Nathan and he says hey David I'll tell you a story about a man that only had one little lamb this little family and they loved it and uh, this other family man had all these lambs and ewes and all but instead of taking one of his he, he went and took the one they had took it to himself David said who is that I want to find out who that is I I'm going to make sure they're punished and Nathan pointed his finger right in his face and he said, Thou art the man. This is what you've done, David. God knows about it. You think you've got it hidden from everybody else? But God knows it. And I know it. Soon the kingdom will know it. You say, Preacher, you're making a big deal out of this. Yes, because it is a big deal. We've dumbed down the, the truth of God for so long, and yet this is important. Adultery will make a thief out of you. It'll make a liar out of you. I've watched this again and again. It'll make a fool out of you. Would you do me a favor and turn back? In fact, let's close with this part. Exodus 20. Exodus chapter 20 where where God gives Moses the, the Ten Commandments. I never paid attention to this until sometime back when I came across it. Someone made the statement that the potential of every single commandment is broken. When adultery is committed, except one. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And I believe that's broken sometimes too because people that are addicted to uh, the sin of adultery and fornication, they, they don't think anything about the Lord's day. They don't think anything about holy days. Number one, you notice, just let your eyes fall while I'm going through it. No other gods before me. You know what happens when you commit adultery and you're fixated upon somebody else? You make them a God. The second is uh, no graven images. Often they become an idol to you. Don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And yet, how many times have we heard it? I was telling the early service, and I mentioned to Pastor Cameron, I, I'm I'm just months away from taking a different position here in the church to serve my Lord and serve my leaders, serve this church. I'll no longer be the lead pastor in just a few months. And I, I heard the story just the other day of the, the pr- one of the premier megachurch pastors up in the Illinois area that maybe had the first <clears throat> megachurch that only weeks away from his retirement relaxed his conviction and fell prey to this sin. And now in humiliation his wife and children in that church is broken. I'm talking about dragging the name of the Lord down through the mud. You say, "Well, these preachers do." They don't know. You're a Christian. People know if you if you name the name of Christ or not. When it happens in your life, you're taking the name of the Lord places it shouldn't be either. How about this one? Honor thy father and thy mother. Oh, I told him in the early hour, and it's true. My mother lives a mile from here, up in up the road here. She's 93 years old. She's not able to be here anymore. But before I was ever born, my mother prayed and cried with a friend of hers and asked God, Lord, even though I live in the sin that we're living in in this family, would you give me a son that will preach your word? She prayed that way. And God heard it. You know, one of the reasons I want to keep from this sin, and I hope it's true in your life too, I don't want to go and walk in the house, my mother's house on Jackson Trail one day I have to say, Mother, you know, I won't be preaching anymore. I'm sorry to tell you this, but I've committed adultery. If I know my own heart, I'd rather die than bring reproach on the name of Jesus and my family and this church and the places where we've had the opportunity to serve. That doesn't honor your father and mother. Number six, thou shalt not kill. Even if a Physical death doesn't occur. There's death to a testimony. Death to influence. Death to opportunities. How about this one? Thou shalt not steal. Number eight. You're taking something that doesn't belong to you. Thou shalt not lie. Bear false witness and lying just follows this sin. To cover up, to hide. And finally, don't covet. Specifically, don't cover your, covet your, your neighbor's husband or wife. Do you see that? Do you see how that one, the breaking of one of these, this sin, affects almost all the others? A study of David's life and the tragedy reveals the price that he paid. Why, Pastor? What happened? Why? Well, David's a sinner. <laughs> Depraved sinner. And guess what? Look at me. I want everybody to hear this. So are you. So am I. If Were it not for the grace of God and His gift on the cross on my behalf, I'd be headed for hell or already there right now. We're sinners. And it must take God's strength and grace. Jesus went to the cross to redeem sinners like us and sins like this. If you think you can live a life free of sin, you're dead wrong. Without the help and grace of Almighty God, let me say this for somebody that may not be saved in this room. If you can live a life in this sin or others a continual sin without conviction and without chastisement, you have good reason to believe that you've never been saved. However, if you're a believer, there is help, there is hope, there is healing. There's some people could stand in this room right here to say, yes, at a foolish moment in my life, I looked, I lusted, I sinned. But thanks be to God, He forgave me. There are others that can testify. He gave me the capacity to forgive those that have sinned against me. God has redeemed lives and marriages and families and purposes. And for that, I am so grateful and glad. But if I could sound a warning this morning and encourage you not to go there in the first place to protect you and protect your children and protect their families, that's our desire this morning to do just that. Pastor, how do we do it? Let me close by just telling you and reminding you of that moment. On that night in our revival, I forget which night, 2019, Life Action was here, that the sirens came on. Do you remember the sirens? All through the message, he would, they would hit that button in the back and the siren would come on. It was a reminder <clears throat> that just as the EMTs come when you need help and the fire department comes when you need help, God has provided for you in Christ the power to say no to sin. There is grace to help you reign in this life and to be victorious. When you're tempted, you just run to Jesus and ask for His help. Romans chapter 5, and He will give you reigning grace. You know, think of what it cost Jesus to be faithful to His wife. That's us, the bride of Christ. It cost Him everything. You know, David repented and God forgave him. If you'll repent, he'll forgive you too. So students and unmarried people, flee fornication. Flee fornication. (laughs) I just had a crazy thought. I remember my pastor used to preach like this, Joe Myers. And I'd be in a car riding down the road with a girl, and my thoughts wouldn't be what they ought to be. And if I reached over a little too close or something was moving in the wrong direction, this is terrible, but it's true. I'd see his face right there in front of my face. Just like right there. I'd jerk back. Thank Lord, have mercy. I, I hope you'll see God's face when you're tempted. I hope you see our faces. I hope you see the tears running down the faces of those that'll be broken because of your sin. And I hope you'll run to Jesus for help and, and for married people in this room. Here's a word of exhortation in closing. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. The best reason I know not to is because of Jesus. How much He loves me. How much He loves you. I don't want to hurt Him, do you? I don't want to hurt Terry. I don't want to hurt my children and grandchildren. But I, I don't want to hurt Him most of all. He's my Savior. He died for me. He loves me. He loves you. If you're lost in this room, you've never been born again today, there'll be people here in the front that can help you. You can hang around afterwards. You can respond. I know it's awkward to respond an invitation when something like this has been preached. But I want to tell you, God had this word for some of us today. A warning, a sounding warning in this culture. No matter where things go, let's stand for Him and love Jesus. Father, this is your invitation, your church. Because it is, Pastor Cameron and I and these pastors, we're going to preach what you said. We're going to obey you, Lord, and move at your promptings. And Lord, you keep us clean. Would you keep us pure? Please, God. And Lord, when, we, when we're moving in that direction, would you by your power convict and may we repent and turn from our sin. Lord, bring healing and help. And work, Lord, today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. I wonder if there's something you don't need to say to God. Maybe nobody in the world knows about it, but He does, He's the one that counts. Or if you need to say to him, Lord, tell you what I'm gonna do. Because that person keeps being overtly kind to me and trying to compliment me, I'm gonna avoid them like the plague. I'm gonna love my husband. I'm gonna pursue him and I'm gonna I'm gonna love him. I'm gonna love my wife. I'm gonna pursue her. I'm gonna love her. Maybe a single person, thank God. Lord, thank you for your power in my life in helping me with these passions. Or maybe somebody needs to say, Lord, give me a wife. Lord, will you give me a husband who loves you and knows you. Lord, thank you for your word this morning, for applying it your way. Continue to keep your hand on our church. Lord, thank you for all that's happening here. For the hundreds of people that will walk on this property in the next few weeks, hear the gospel and respond to it for our missionaries, for the mission work that's happening everywhere, and for your goodness and grace in our lives. Lord, may we be examples of people that are in process, who are loving and following and honoring you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.